Welcome to season two of Retire Eyes Wide Open. I'm Scott Lamborg. Excited to be back. I've got a lot to say. We've been busy around here conducting over 20 public seminars last year just on Social Security. I thought it was best to start the year off strong with what we've seen in the field after all those seminars, meeting with hundreds of people. What are the biggest Social Security takeaways? And what Social Security strategies do you need to consider? That's what this episode is all about. I'm looking forward to this year. We'll have a return of my money monologue, the money rundown, the best thing I saw this week, and the Scott strategy segment. We'll also keep taking your questions. And we have a lineup of exciting guests on all things financial and retirement. But today is an in-depth look into Social Security strategies. This is Retire Eyes Wide Open. Welcome to Retire Eyes Wide Open. Don't go into retirement with your eyes closed. Go into it with your eyes wide open. If your financial advisor and tax advisor aren't talking, someone Someone isn't doing their job. There are two systems in this country, one for the informed and one for the uninformed. You can't turn back the clock. You can only get better for the future. You're going to look back at this moment 20 years from now, and you want to know you did everything you could to position your financial life. The world is changing, and so is retirement. Hi, my name is Scott Lamborg, and I'm here to help you retire with your eyes wide open. That means having the information you need and the clarity you deserve. It means understanding and interpreting the world as it changes. It means knowing about investments, taxes, social security and estate planning, and how they're all connected. And probably most important, it's about living your best retirement life, the good life. You know, I meet with thousands of retirees. I see people doing it right. I see people doing it wrong. And I'm gonna show you how to retire with your eyes wide open. The strategies and concepts discussed are for educational purposes only and do not represent specific investment tax or estate planning advice. Investing carries an inherent element of risk, and it is in everyone's best interest to consult a tax legal or investment professional. Scott Lamborg is an investment advisor representative of and advisory services are offered through USA Financial Securities Corp., member FINRA, and SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Sterling Wealth Partners is not affiliated with USA Financial Securities. And now for the money monologue. Social Security. After another year in the field, giving dozens of Social Security seminars and meeting with hundreds of people, what are the top Social Security strategies that you need to be aware of? One, see if you qualify for the restricted application strategy. If you're born in 1953 or 52 and you and your spouse both worked, look into this strategy. If you're divorced, widowed, and born in 53 or 52, it could apply to you too, so pay attention. The restricted application allows dual-income couples an opportunity to claim now and claim more later, and under recent legislation, it's being phased out for those born in 1954 or later. If your spouse turns on their benefit, you can claim a spousal benefit at full retirement age until 70, getting some free money before ultimately turning back to get your full benefit, which could be worth 32% more than it was at full retirement age. Our Scott Strategy segment, we'll dig a little bit deeper on this strategy. If you're born in 53 or 52, you owe it to everyone else to consider if this strategy works for you. Number two, understand how Social Security is taxed. When you worked full time, there weren't as many tax planning opportunities. But in retirement, there are because you have choices on where you pull your income from. And those different income sources can be taxed differently. Social Security is one of those income sources you need to understand. If you keep your provisional income at certain levels, your Social Security can be tax-free or only 50% of it subject to tax. Keeping your provisional income low in retirement is possible because only half of your Social Security income is counted toward the limits. 
and other income sources like Roth IRAs, cash, non-qualified accounts, and real estate could provide additional tax-advantaged income sources. It's not what you make, it's what you keep, and tax strategy is critical at this stage in retirement. Strategy number three, understand your long-term tax liabilities. We're so conditioned to think about taxes year over year. What did I pay in taxes this year? How much of a refund will I get? But you need to think differently. How are my taxes going to look over the next 10 years, over the next decade? What about at 70? Now, if I was asking you to think about taxes in your 30s, it would be a useless exercise because so much can change. Now, if I was going to ask you to think about your taxes and your Social Security in your 30s, the questions would be a lot different because so much can change over that period of time. But if you're 55, 65, 75, you're in that retirement red zone and you can do your best to plan with the current tax law. For example, if you and your spouse both work and you're in a high tax bracket, you might be tempted to take your Social Security at 66 just to save the Social Security income you're getting. Maybe you'll save it, maybe you'll invest it. And as appealing as that may be, I meet with many high income earners where waiting often makes sense until they're done working. Why? Because while they're working, they're in a high tax bracket. But in retirement, when the home is paid off or you downsize your home, the kids are off your payroll, college has already been paid for, maybe you find yourself in a lower tax bracket. If that's the case for you, not only will you have 32% more income from Social Security, but it'll be much more tax advantaged if you decide to wait. Strategy number four, if you and your spouse have an age difference, consider taking one Social Security later and one earlier. People often forget that when one of you pass away, the lower Social Security amount goes away and what's left is the higher of the two. There's more incentive, if you can afford it, to have the higher earner wait longer and the smaller earner take earlier. The higher deferred amount remains for both of your lives. This is particularly important when people have a 5, 10, 15-year age difference with their spouse. Strategy number five, if you need to build up your assets while you're still working, consider turning on your Social Security at full retirement age, but increasing your 401k contributions to reduce the tax burden. You may be in a situation where your investment assets or your liquid assets are not big enough to support your goals. If that's the case, consider turning on your Social Security at full retirement age instead of waiting until 70. The issue here is that it increases your tax liability. To offset it, consider increasing your retirement plan contributions. This strategy may allow you to harvest some of your Social Security income now, but the negative tax consequences offset by the deferral. This strategy may allow you to harvest some of your Social Security income now, but have the negative tax consequences offset by deferring the income in your retirement plan. You then can make withdrawals in retirement for the income that you need, hopefully at a lower tax rate. So get that tax deduction in the year that you need it, harvest that withdrawal in the years when you're in a lower bracket. Strategy number six, stop worrying about Social Security cutting benefits. One of the most common questions I get is what happens when Social Security runs out of money and they project cutting benefits? I think the odds of that happening are low. Why? First, the solution to Social Security is easy. They're going to raise the eligibility age. They're going to possibly look at means testing. Maybe they do some inflation adjustments. But cuts to your benefits? I seriously doubt it. Our government is printing a trillion dollars more per year than it brings in. They can't cut anything. They can't even cut by 1%. Do you think these politicians would have the will to cut your benefits by 10%, 25%? 
That's the quickest and easiest way to never get reelected again. It's far easier for them just keep printing money. By the way, despite all of this debt that's being added, our currency is stronger than ever. The greater long-term risk is inflation. Will your dollar be worth as much? With over $20 trillion of government debt, inflation may be the only way out of our federal debt woes. Less likely that they're going to cut your Social Security benefits, more likely that they inflate their way out of this problem. So how do you plan for that? That's a whole other episode, but suffice to say, investment assets, stocks, real estate, they are your best defense. And that's my money monologue. And now for the money rundown. Our money rundown segment is where we cover the week's news. There's lots of media sources out there that are going to give you updated information about the economy and the markets. My job is to help summarize and synthesize, help pick out a few stories that are most important for you as a retiree or an investor. Story number one, the China trade talks continue to be front and center with the markets. Companies and individuals in China were blacklisted this week, and the president is set to meet with Chinese diplomats. What does that mean for you? China has been on the minds of investors all year with tweets and the constant back and forth. I think you need to be thinking about what positions in your portfolio are most at risk if the China tariffs don't de-escalate. The likelihood of some sort of China deal is being anticipated by the market. That's why the market continues to be nearing highs, despite there not being any resolution. It looks as if both parties have an interest in them reaching a deal. Announcing that they're not going to reach a deal could cause the market to go down a little bit further. An announcement that they finalize the deal could potentially mean the market moves higher. So there's a little bit of market uncertainty, no question about it. And I think as an investor, I think you just have to take this as an opportunity to look at your portfolio and ask yourself, how much risk am I exposed to if something happens with China? How much risk am I exposed to if a recession started, if the market started to tank? How much risk am I exposed to is always a good question to ask. And take this as an opportunity to reevaluate your risk. Story number two, the White House announced this week that they're not going to cooperate with the House impeachment inquiry. What does that mean for you? Another thing in the news all summer, not only do we have to deal with Mueller reports, Russian investigations, we're dealing with Ukraine now, and now a House impeachment inquiry. One important piece of information about this inquiry, the whole House has not voted on starting the impeachment inquiry. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has dictated to some of her heads of different committees to start this investigation. Now, the White House is questioning the legitimacy of that impeachment inquiry. And I think the courts are going to have to ultimately decide how much the president and the White House has to cooperate with that inquiry. As an investor, take this opportunity to reevaluate your risk. Going through an impeachment inquiry by itself isn't something that I think would really impact the market. Also consider that in order for an actual impeachment to happen, not only does the House, controlled by Democrats, have to vote on it, but also the Senate, which is filled with a majority of Republicans. They would have to vote to confirm any impeachment to remove the president, likely barring some other unforeseen news item. The likelihood of that happening is very slim. So as far as how this might impact your wallet, less concerned about that than other things that are going on in the world. More concerned about trade, more concerned about election potential and other financial items than I am about the impeachment possibility. Story number three, phone scammers and teledoctors were charged with preying on seniors in a recent fraud case. This reported by NPR. What does it mean for you? Well, more and more people are getting scam calls pretending to be your doctor. So 
beware and make sure your loved ones know that this kind of activity is on the rise. You might not be susceptible to a scam like this. And these scammers are getting more and more sophisticated. They'll send emails from an email address that looks like it's a relative. They'll call impersonating your doctor, impersonating your, your medical office. And you have to be aware of that. What we've seen is a rise of people that are ordering prescriptions they don't need, equipment they don't need. And it's something that seniors need to be aware of. If you're 55, 65, 75, you probably don't need to worry about it very much. But maybe you need to worry for your parents. Let them know that this is a scam that's on the rise. They need to keep their eyes open, be aware of it as a risk, and keep their guard up. And that's our Money Rundown for the week. And now for a new segment, that was interesting. Each week, we talk about things that are good in the news, the best thing I saw this week, things that pique our interest and capture our attention. There should be no billionaires. That's a quote from Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. He literally said that as he unveiled his new wealth tax. There should be no billionaires. Are those tax will likely impact only people with wealth over 30 million, a very small group. The statement that there should be no billionaires really caught my attention and causes some serious concern. Did you know that the top 400 Americans' wealth is worth less than $3 trillion? Some people think that's a big number. I think it's small. Did you know our government spends $3.8 trillion every single year? In other words, if you seized all of the property from the wealthiest 400 Americans, it wouldn't even pay for one year of our federal government, not one single year. Right now, our government is spending almost a trillion dollars more than it takes in. Taking all the wealth from the top 400 Americans would cover just that annual budget deficit for three to four years. Talk about income inequality all you want. Make a villain out of American capitalism if you want, but taking all the wealth of the richest Americans wouldn't make a dent. They're a convenient target. Wealth taxes haven't worked in Europe. Why would they work here? The countries that have implemented them have repealed them because they're unpopular. They don't raise as much as expected, and they're a nightmare to calculate. Even more important than all of this is the idea that the government wants to seize your assets to a level that powerful billionaires could be extinct. Some people think taking a wealth tax of 2% or 3% is small potatoes for the rich, but over time, it becomes a significant wealth killer. They would move, many of them, and the ones that stayed would be bled out of existence. The sad thing is a politician is saying that's the goal, for there to be no billionaires. By the way, what happens when billionaires move? When they move their companies, the federal income tax that you're used to getting from the income that they're producing, it disappears too. I get concerned about a government that wants to be the only power. There are billionaires that do good work, great work. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett have pledged all of their wealth to charity. Jeff Bezos is revolutionizing the space industry. Do we really want to make them the enemy? Let's have a debate about opportunity, about jobs, about growth, about taxes. Could they be more fair? Absolutely. But to say you want to get rid of billionaires, charitable ones and selfish ones, job creators and trust fund babies alike, I think it's just for political points at the expense of real debate. There are plenty of taxes out there that can be levied, estate tax, income, cap gains. That's where the debate should be. Wealth taxes, if you look at the data, just haven't seemed to work. The problem is not billionaires. I have no problem with people making money, having power. They can do great good. The question is, 
How do we keep building opportunity for those poor and the middle class to grow and build the life that they want? You have to remember, we've created a country where it's possible to be a billionaire. If you come up with a great software idea in your garage in Cleveland, you can sell it. Not only across state lines, not only to 300 million Americans, but to English speakers worldwide from your garage. Technology has made getting wealthy with your crazy idea more accessible than any other generation before. To build an empire, you used to need capital. You used to need connections and a government that wasn't in your way. Now you can pick up free stuff posted on Facebook and resell it on eBay. You can be an expert on motorcycle reviews and make a living from an apartment in Imperial Beach. You could be a financial advisor in your pajamas in Florida and have clients coming out of your ears. The same technology that is helping the rich become richer is also helping the poor and middle class with new opportunities. Let's stop blaming. Stop picking easy targets. Let's stop criticizing success and start talking about how we can add more success stories to the ranks. How can more people live the American dream? How can the technology be harnessed to make life better for everyone? And that's the end of my segment, That Was Interesting. Next is our Scott Strategy segment. Earlier in the show, we talked about the restricted application strategy for Social Security. I wanted to pick up on that a little more and give some focused attention. If you're born in 1953, or 1952 or 1951, pay extra careful attention. Make sure that you investigate if it's a strategy that works for you. Because people born in 54, 55, or 56 are looking at you with envy because they can't use this strategy. It was phased out as part of the 2015 Budget Act. So what is it? It allows dual income couples an opportunity to claim now and claim more later. How does it work? The higher earning spouse at full retirement age turns on their spousal benefit while deferring their own benefit until 70. Why? Because they get a free spousal benefit for four years and their benefit at 70 still increases by 32%. It increases the same amount even if they wouldn't have utilized the strategy. Let me give you an example. You're 66, full retirement age. Your benefit's $2,000 a month. Your wife is also 66 and worked and has her own benefit worth $1,000 per month. You claim a restricted application strategy, getting 50% of her benefit as a spousal benefit or $500 per month. You get the $500 a month from 66 to 70, and at 70, you switch to your higher Social Security benefit. Because you waited until 70, your benefit is now over $2,600 per month, and you collected that $500 a month spousal Social Security benefit over four years. So a couple considerations that you should think through when you're thinking if this strategy is really right for you. Number one, do you qualify with your birthday? If you're born in 54, sorry, you don't qualify. If you're born in 55, 56, you don't qualify so you can disregard and move on because it's not going to work for you. If you're born before 1954, it's a strategy you should look at. And by the way, you both don't need birthdays before the new deadline, just the spouse that's claiming restricted. Number two, does your spouse have their own benefit? If your spouse worked or worked full-time or part-time and they have their own Social Security, this might be a benefit that works for you. But if your spouse did not have a lot of earned income, maybe they stayed home, helped raise kids, then a restricted application is not going to work for you. It's for dual-income couples. Number three, are you subject to the windfall elimination provision or the government pension offset? Again, dual-income couples, you have to have both have a Social Security benefit that you're going to be able to collect. If you're a government employee or if you didn't pay into Social Security and you're subject to a windfall elimination or a government pension offset, again, a strategy that might not work for you. Four, are you divorced? This is a big one. I recently met with a Boeing engineer. She was 66 years old, planning on working until 70, wasn't planning on turning on her Social Security until 70 because she loves her job. And what was fantastic for her is that she was able to claim 
an ex-spousal Social Security benefit from her spouse from 20 years ago. She's collecting over $1,000 a month now in her ex-spousal Social Security benefit that she claimed while still deferring her own benefit, her maximum benefit, until 70. If you're divorced, your spouse earned income, and you're eligible for the restricted, it's definitely something you want to look into. Five, are you a widow? Widows also potentially could qualify for this strategy. Again, if you both worked and earned an income, doing the restricted application strategy could potentially work for you. Six, do you have other assets to be able to afford to do it? One of the biggest questions is if you do that restricted, obviously you're gonna have a little less income by utilizing the strategy. Less income in the short term, probably more income in the long term, and especially after 70. Do you have other assets that you could pull from? Investment accounts, 401ks, IRAs, trust accounts, other things you could pull from to bridge that gap from 66 to 70 with whatever you're deciding to defer by utilizing the strategy. Seven, even if you don't need the money, it might make sense. Some people think, oh, you know what? I'm just not even going to think about it because I don't need the money till I'm 70. Not worth looking at. You really need to run the numbers on this one because even if you don't need the money, it might make sense. Because think about it, your benefit at 70 is going to be exactly the same whether you wait till 70 or turn on this benefit. The only difference is that you missed out on that free benefit. Now, your spouse did have to turn on their benefit in order for you to claim it. So that may not be in your best interest, something you need to look at very closely. Eight. Don't get talked out of it by Social Security. I had a client recently who called me after we'd done some advanced financial planning, put together a full financial plan, decided that doing a restricted Social Security was in her best interest, and she called to tell me that the agent at Social Security was trying to talk her out of it. Asked her why she was considering it. Why would she do that? So make sure that you go into Social Security when you make that election. Very few are going to give you advice, but just be careful you don't get talked out of what you think is the right strategy for you after you've evaluated your options. Number nine, tell your friends to look into it. If you qualify and you're born in 53 or 52 or 51, if you look into Social Security and you look into the restricted application strategy, if it works for you or doesn't work for you, tell your friends. Tell your friends that are in the same age bracket, hey, if you're born during these time periods, you need to look into if restricted application works for you. That Boeing engineer I mentioned earlier, if she didn't come in and meet with me, if she didn't talk to anyone about her Social Security, she would have missed out on absolutely free money for a four-year period of time. And I've ran into multiple people that had an opportunity to do it and they didn't do it just because they didn't need the money and they didn't know about it as a strategy. So tell your friends about it. And by the way, if you want to learn more about Social Security, you can go to our website, retireewo.com. You can listen to some of our old Social Security episodes and you're welcome to join us at one of our future Social Security events that we hold throughout the year at local restaurants, local community centers, local libraries. And that's our Scott Strategy segment. And now for our listener questions. If you want some of your questions answered during the show, go to our website, retireewo.com and click on submit a question. We'll do our best to get your question answered during the show. Joining us here today with some of those questions is one of our newest team members. She helps some of our clients with client service, Lindsay Aguilar. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Excited about our new season. Thank you for having me. Today, we have some questions about Social Security. Elizabeth in Rancho Santa Margarita. Hi, Scott. I've been working for 40 years and make a decent living, 80000 a year. If I stop working at 60, is my Social Security benefit at 65 still going to be the same? I've heard it can go down if you don't keep working. Well, hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for the question. Um, 
your Social Security benefit is based on a 35-year average. So if you've worked for 40 years, if you've made a good living for all of those years, stopping at 60, your benefit's likely not going to be impacted very much from 60 to 65. Now, anyone listening, you want to do a clear and concise calculation because maybe those 40 years, only 20 of them you had significant earnings, 20 of them maybe you had minimal earnings. And Social Security, when they're calculating what your benefit will be, they are expecting you to continue working. So if you have over 35 years of earnings, then not working for a few years at the end probably won't make that big of a difference. But if you have a lot of zeros or a lot of years where you didn't earn a lot of money, it could impact you. So that's something where you want to bring in your full Social Security statement and run a calculation to determine how it might be impacted by you not working. Jim in Fullerton. I started taking my Social Security four months ago. Now I wish I would have waited a little longer to get a higher amount. Anything I can do now or am I stuck? Thanks for the question, Jim. There are things that you can do. If you've changed your mind about your Social Security, you typically have up to one year to change your mind. Now, you might not like the prescription that I'm going to give you. In order for you to set back the clock, you're going to have to repay those benefits. You're going to have to repay those benefits, any Medicare payments that were taken out, any payments that were made to a spouse, any payments that were made to uh, an underage child. You're going to have to repay all of that money. So if you're only four months in, it's probably not going to be a huge amount, but that's something that has to be a consideration. You can't just stop it um, and not repay it and then have the calculation go back to when you started. Um, It's something you're going to have to repay, so make sure that you're aware of that and that's part of your plan. Lawrence in Oceanside. My wife and I make 300000 a year, and we are both 67. I'm thinking about just turning on our Social Security now, even though we plan on working till 70. We only have a couple hundred thousand saved for retirement, all in IRAs and 401ks, and I feel like we need more cash in retirement. Taking the Social Security could help give us more income. What do you think? Lawrence, thanks for the question. I can feel where you're coming from, right? You've been working hard. You've been working hard your whole life. You've saved some money, but you feel like it's not enough. What should you do? Well, I think you have to look really closely at your tax situation and look at your other income sources. How big is that Social Security check going to be? How big is it going to be? Do you have any other pension income? Assuming that you don't have any pension income, okay, dial in to how much that Social Security benefit is going to be. One of the things to remember is if you're making $300,000 a year, you're in a very high tax bracket. You're in one of the highest tax brackets. So if you take your Social Security, that Social Security, 85% of it is also going to be taxed at that highest bracket. If you want to take it, if you want to build up your liquid savings, I would encourage you to explore maybe increasing your retirement savings, your deductible retirement savings to help offset the taxes that you're paying. So let's say you get 30 grand a year from Social Security. If you do nothing, you're going to pay taxes on 85% of it and you'll pay it whatever your tax rate is. So it could be a big chunk that's going to be taken away. If you turn around and put that extra money into a 401k for you and your spouse, assuming you're not already doing that, that could potentially help offset the tax. Uh, The taxes that you would pay by by getting the income would be offset by the deductible contribution you're making to your retirement accounts. That's one potential strategy. Now, if you're already maxing your retirement accounts, then I think you really need to look closely if that's the right decision about when to take your Social Security. Because likely, the situation you're telling me, 
likely you're going to have to be downsizing in retirement. You're going to be making less money in retirement because you just don't have the assets to support 300 grand a year. So you're going to have your social security. You may have your investment income. Maybe you need to sell your home, buy something free and clear, buy something with a lower, smaller mortgage. You've got multiple options, and I see it all the time when people will downsize. But remember this, taking your social security now when you're in that high tax bracket, you may be giving up 40% of it to Uncle Sam. If you simply wait to take that social security, wait another three years, now that higher social security amount, if you're smart about where your other income is coming from, it might be tax-free or it might be tax-advantaged, or at the very least, you're going to be at a lower tax bracket that you're in today. Hope that was helpful. If I can help you more, Lawrence, feel free to reach out to us. Go to our website, RetireEWO. There's an option there to set up an appointment. I'd be happy to talk to you more one-on-one. That's our show for this week. If you want your questions answered during the show, go to our website, RetireEWO.com, and click on Ask a Question. Go like us on Facebook to get our most up-to-date content. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you next time where I'll show you how to retire with your eyes wide open. Don't go into retirement with your eyes closed. Go into it with your eyes wide open. I'm Scott Lamborg. We'll see you soon.